Okay, okay, stories. Now, there was uh, there were a couple of folks that were were at the session last night uh, listening to stories, and one lady came up and said, now, now tomorrow morning you're not going to tell the same stories, right? I said, I don't know. It just, you know, it depends what, uh, how late I was up. I was up till 1 o'clock this morning typing. It was so cool that I started sending uh, emails to people. I mean, I just didn't want to stop it. Um, okay. Um, I did get, where's my iPhone? Oh, yes. I did tell about uh, our IC program. Some of you aren't familiar with that. It's a uh, eyesight enhancement, and uh, we're looking for something for the other E. But uh, so, if you have any suggestions, we'd be happy to consider those. I had one and I forgot it. Eyesight enhancement and come on, guys. Hello. Eyesight enhancement, <laughs> education, no, that doesn't work. Okay, well, let me see if I can. Uh, I got a, uh, what I'm looking for is I got a uh, an email from... Um, Oh, you know what? Jack took my iPhone and connected me to the um, to the Wi-Fi here, and now I can't find anything. I took this out to the uh, I took this out to the jungles. Went out to visit Minkai oh, a few weeks ago. It's incredible. The kids come up, take this from me. They have no clue what this is. All I have to do is punch the uh, the on button. And pretty soon they're looking at pictures. And no kidding, they're just, you know, it's intuitive. But you definitely have to be younger than I am. <laughs> the other day, Natalie, one of Jamie's daughters, came up and took the iPhone from me and said, people like this, and started doing stuff on the iPhone. The next thing I know, I've got downloads from all over the Internet. She's three. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can find this. Um, Ah, uh, here it is. <coughs> I need somebody to invent a smaller keyboard that folds out. Um, I was telling folks yesterday that uh, when I was a kid, uh, an, opto- an optometrist came from Rockford, Illinois, down to Ecuador, and was checking the eyes of missionaries and their children. And my mom's, you know, made an appointment for me to go see him. And I mean, the last thing I want to do is go see an eye doctor. I could see just fine. Um, I was having a little bit of a hard time with basketball, but the rest of it I could see just fine. I went to see this man, and he said that I was going to need to wear glasses for the rest of my life. And I thought, I'll be cow-kicked if I'm going to wear glasses. I mean, that is so uncool, right? But then when he put the glasses on my face, two things happened. I saw leaves on the trees... And then I went out to recess, and I could see the the rim on the basketball backboard. And then it dawned on me, no wonder all my friends can shoot free throws better than I can. I mean, I was aiming at the certain spot in the in the box on the rim. I mean, on the backboard, and they were shooting at the rim. Talk about unfair advantage. 
So I got to thinking, you know what? There's people all over the world that can't see. And in a lot of places, um, like the Waurani, if you can't contribute to the society that you're a part of, to the village, then the Waurani expect you to willingly die. So seriously, I can remember as a boy, I can remember going to uh, Gikita's house and uh, one of the old women in the house was sitting in her hammock not doing anything. She had gotten a cold and she had gotten apparently some, um, some pneumonia and she was too weak to go out and work in the garden. So nobody fed her and she didn't ask for any food. She was just going to sit there till she died. Um, I mentioned that yesterday and a man came up and said that the, um, the health um, assessor, what do you call it in English, um, consultant to Obama has suggested openly and in writing that below the age of 15 and over the age of 60 that people don't deserve full medical uh, care. Um, he, he, thought, uh, he thought with the people making the movie The uh, End of the Spear said after we spent some time with the Waurani and the Waurani were explaining how they used to live and how they live now now that they've started following God's trail, some of them, or even those that aren't following God's trail, nevertheless know about it. And uh, the uh, folks making the movie said, you know, it's sobering to spend much time with them because you realize if we continue down the path that we're headed towards, we will be the Waurani. That's what this man said the other night. But I thought, I thought I'd read just a little bit of this. This is just an unsolicited um, email that we got just a few days ago. It said, uh, hi, I just returned from my trip to Tajikistan in China. Um, I didn't know where Tajikistan was. I thought it was in the old Soviet uh, republics. I've traveled a lot of places. I haven't been to Tajikistan. said, so we had a very profound time. I thought I would attach some pictures of our team using IC, the eyesight, the indigenous sight enhancement That would be an experience. Okay, guys, we're going to use that if nobody can come up with something better, okay? said, uh, I thought I would attach some pictures of our team using IC, but then also training the national team there to use it in Tajikistan. It was used with great effectiveness and was embraced quickly by the national ministry there. It met a huge need but also opened doors to new arenas of ministry. We visited ministry sites all over Tajikistan, and IC was used in schools with university professors, two prisons, sewing centers, and the ministry's own training center. Both Russian-speaking and Tajik-speaking people were given the gift of better sight, and it was such a joyous experience uh, to then see them able to read with ease. Julie Dodd was our team member who led the portion of our ministry to Tajikistan uh, and described the experience this way. As I wrote in one of the daily updates, it still amazed me that even Tajik people of prominence do not have these things and professors with glasses and professors without glasses of all things. Some needed very strong prescriptions. Imagine how their lives change when they can truly see for the first time. One of the coolest things is to see the aha moment when they discover that there are leaves on trees. Um, when they discover that there is texture and detail to the world around them, usually they get this big smile and their eyes light up. It brings a smile to me even now. If you haven't had the experience of going out and for no other reason than for love for the Lord, serving somebody with some, meeting some physical need that they have, I strongly suggest that you find a way to do it. It is an experience whose reward 
cannot be measured in dollars and cents. People uh, come to me every once in a while and say, now I understand you used to be in business and uh, now you're you're a missionary? Wow, that's really impressive. And I think, no, you know what? You need to go and talk to the people that are in business, the people that are professionals that are going out every day and competing in the world and then living below their means so that they can use those discretionary funds to help fund the gospel. Those are the people who are the heroes. I've lived in both of these worlds, and I can tell you between the two, this is the easy one. This is, because we live in a world that says you deserve a break today, have it your way, have it your way. We are bombarded with the idea that if we're out there working, that we deserve some kind of reward from what we're doing. And yet the book that we read says that God wants to bless us, not so that we'll be blessed, but so that he can bless others through us. And uh, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you all coming to Global Medical Health Conference, because I assume that you're not here to uh, enhance your business. <laughs> All right, uh, Tajikistan. Now, um, some of you have different versions of the Bible on my iPhone, and that's why I got the new version of the iPhone. Um, I, I wondered how Apple kept getting people to update all the time. It's because when somebody starts, especially old people, we just sit around and compare apps. And I say, no way, where did you get that? And they say, oh, do you, what, phone do you, what iPhone do you have? And I say, I got the 3G. Oh, it won't work there. <laughs> now, that's how they get you to do it. But I'm, I'm somebody, if it's working, don't mess with it. So you know what iPhone did? They started dropping apps. My phone, pretty soon I couldn't get the weather. You know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't communicate in flight. Then my Bible dropped off. When my Bible dropped off, there is a class action lawsuit against. Apparently, they started changing the, um, the uh, operating system so that the older iPhones wouldn't get it. So I did exactly what they wanted. I went out and bought a new iPhone. But uh, this version of the Bible is not, on my, um, is not on my iPhone yet, although I have written to them and have asked them to add it's the, Jesus, the Jesus book. Um, and by the way, let me read you one, one verse here that is the reason that we have all gathered here. Um, this is in Matthew, the, the very end of the book of Matthew in the Jesus book. It says, now this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to uh, all of you. Now, you didn't know about him then, but he knew about you back then. And he said, so... You guys go all over the world and teach all the different peoples so they can learn about me and come my guys. Now, if you're not familiar with this, this is Hawaiian Pidgin. This is a Wycliffe translation of the New Testament in Hawaiian Pidgin, which you didn't know that you knew until this morning. So won't that be great? Now, you probably can't speak it, but you can understand it. And now you know what they have? The Before Jesus book. I haven't got a copy yet, but I'm, I'm watching for one. Um, it says, so you guys go all over the world and teach all the different people so they can learn about me and come my guys. Baptize them and they're going to come tight with my father and me, his boy, and God's good and special spirit. Teach them how to do everything I wouldn't tell you guys for do. And you know what? A <laughs> little delayed, but... Um, teach them how to do everything what I wouldn't tell you guys for do. And you know what? what? I'm going to stick with you guys all the way till the world go pow. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But now there's a there's another place in just a few chapters before that in uh, the same book of Matthew that says, uh, Jesus, tell him, you know, I the guy that's for real. When I come back, I'm going to be awesome. All the angel guys going to come with me. Then I'm going to sit down on top of my throne that stay awesome. All the different kind of peoples from all over the world are going to come together in front of me, and I'm going to put on... I'm going to put some on one side and some on the other side, just like one sheep farmer. He get put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. Same thing, I'm going to put the guys that stay do right thing on my right side and the other guys on my left side. I, the king, you know, that time I'm going to tell the guys on my right side, come over here. My father like do plenty good kind of stuff to you guys and give you guys everything you guys need. You know, when we, when he make... When he went make the world, he went make all this stuff ready for you guys, because I'm going to be your king. So all this for you guys, take them already. Because I hungry, and you guys wouldn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you guys wouldn't give me something for drink. I wouldn't get one new place, I, I wouldn't go one new place where nobody never know me, and you guys wouldn't say, hey, come over, stay my house. I never had clotheses, and you guys wouldn't give me clotheses. I was sick, and you guys wouldn't take care of me. I wouldn't stay inside the prison, and you guys wouldn't come see me. Then the guys who everything do right, but not too smart. I just add that part. Uh, <laughs> then the guys who, who, who every time do the right thing going to ask me, Boss, when was this that you was hungry and we wouldn't give you food to eat? When was this that you was thirsty and we wouldn't give you something for drink? When was this that when you go one place when nobody know you and we went and say, Hey, come stay our house. When was this that you never had clothes and we went give you clothes? And when was this that you were sick or inside the prison and we went come see you? When was that, boss? Hmm. Me the king, I'm going to say, that's it. I tell you guys for sure. Whatever you guys went do for one of my brothers, no matter people think the guy not important, was me you guys went do that for. That, guys, is just one passage in this very, very special book that gives us reason to do the things that we've come here to discuss. But remember what it says in Matthew 28. It says, now, you guys go all over the world, and, and you teach all those other people do whatever I tell you guys for do. That we call discipleship. That is our commission. And if you go in John 15, you can understand that better. Jesus is talking just, I think it was Kyle last night that was talking about uh, John 15. You know, about, we're, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and God is the husbandman. If we don't bear fruit says that the husbandman is going to come and he's going to cut us off because we have no use to him. But it also says that's the worst news. The bad news is if you stay tied into Jesus and you bear fruit, then the husbandman is going to come and he's going to prune us. It's painful. But he prunes us so that we'll bear more fruit. But what Jesus says is, guys, now I want you to understand, you don't bear fruit. I bear fruit through you. You just hold it. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, to make sure that the people that are listening to him understand what he's talking about. He says, Go therefore and bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know what dawned on me? Guys, 
the proof of whether we do ministry right or not is not how much fruit we bear. It's whether or not our disciples are bearing fruit. Because the proof of discipleship is bearing fruit. You know what? If, if you want to know what my faith is like, ask me, and you really don't have a clue. Ted Haggart, head of the National Association of Evangelicals, consorting with male prostitutes. Benny Hinn, who I've been on his, on his show, and I thought he was some charlatan. You know what? The lady that was organizing the show, I said, so what's Benny's hot button? Having people healed? And she said, no, no. If you want to hit Benny's hot button, you'd start talking to him about people coming to Jesus. Now, this is a guy who lives in a $4 million, lived in a $4 million house in Orlando until the news media picked up on it, and then he moved someplace else. But you know what? On his, on his show, I started reading the Jesus book, 1 Corinthians, about people coming to know Jesus. I mean, it was like I turned on a faucet, and he started crying. And uh, now that I was supposed to have like a three-minute slot, and we got to talking about how how we could go out and share the gospel in a way that people would want to come to Christ and then how they would want to go out and share it some more. We went through that whole program and then all of a sudden he says, uh, now come back with us the next program. He said, we're going to talk to Steve Saints some more. All these people are standing over there. Benny Hinn, who I didn't know from anybody, but his hot button was he really did want people to come to know Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be about. But it isn't so much what we do to teach them. The proof is, if I tell you what I believe, my Spanish teacher used to say, Dime como vives y te diré lo que crees. You tell me how you live. Don't tell me what you believe. You tell me how you live and I'll tell you what you believe. Um, But if you really want to know what I believe, you visit with Jamie a little bit. And have Jamie tell you about Pop. okay? But if you really, really want to know, you go talk to my grandchildren. If my grandchildren are following the same tradition and the same faith personally that my parents and my grandparents passed on to me and we're now passing on, then you really know. And that's what the Bible says. The proof is that God followers who do not give an inheritance, we're not talking about money, we're talking an inheritance of faith and values and things to their children is worse than an infidel. It says, and if you go back to Proverbs, it says, the true proof is that you pass it on to your children's children. And guys, if we were to measure our effectiveness in the world in missions by what our disciples are doing out in the world, I don't think we'd get a passing mark. So my suggestion is that we do it differently. And uh, if you want to know what I would suggest in the area of missions, you know, you get older, you have less energy. So I broke it down a few years ago to no go, show, and blow. That's in the uh, book, The Great Omission. Um, you can't tell people what you don't know. Um, if, if, you know. if you don't know it, don't go someplace else try to teach people. So no, go. Our commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to go and make disciples where the church doesn't exist. No, go, show. Our commission is to go and disciple those people, not to stay there and do it for them. And then finally, the most difficult thing in missions for North America is to blow, is to just leave. It is possible to leave too soon, 
But for every time that we leave too soon, there's a thousand times when we stay too long. Now, not too long ago, uh, CNN did a um, did a, uh, a television spot. We don't have television; haven't had it for 25 years. Um, so I didn't get to see it there, but I saw it online. I think you can still get it. But then they opened a blog where people could uh, make comments, and uh, somebody suggested that I go and start reading the comments about the flying car. Now, the article and the television spot were about this flying car that we've been developing, but 95% of all the comments had nothing to do with the flying car. It was about missions. Let me read a few of those uh, to you. The first one that they put on was, now remember, this is about the Maverick, the flying car. Uh, By the way, the way we got the word, uh, the name Maverick, is we were calling it the missionary assault vehicle, (laughs) the MAV. But the people that built the first uh, fuselage for us are are Mennonites out in Kansas who are conscientious objectors. So we thought maybe missionary assault vehicle was a little too strong, so we started calling it the Maverick. This is the first comment. It says, Cool, and it's for a good cause, so even better. Good luck to them. Now, that's that's the first comment. Now, I'm going to read you some comments. I just copied them off because I wasn't sure if I could get my old iPhone to work in here. I didn't know I was going to have a new iPhone when I came to see you. The next one says, the good cause being recruiting more Christians. The next one was, drug trafficking made easy. Great cause. The next one, I've encountered more than a few Bible thumpers who wouldn't be welcome on my property. Set up a church if you want while providing aid, but making, attending that church, praying, baptism, a condition of getting food, that's disgusting. This is in response to uh, an article about a flying car. The next one was, they are permanently altering a culture just so a religion can grow in ranks. My shiny green rock is better than your shiny green rock. They decided missionaries were the best way to conquer new countries' religions. Somebody named Wisey wrote, That's a big no-no with fundamentalists. They don't want you seeing behind the curtain to know their true motives. Uh, Somebody called, uh, regarding technical achievement, a tech achievement used to force a religion on people. Jesus says, this is somebody else calling themselves, Jesus says, maybe he'll see his imaginary and invisible friend called God in these clouds. Don wrote, anyone who would rather join their religion would rather jam their religion down someone's throat instead of helping them can go to hell first. Displeased. So if a tribe is unaware of your good, uh, of your God, then they will perish in eternal death. I can't wait to hear about the first DUI in one of these. An FYI, a flying while intoxicated. And And then the next one was Zeus protect us all. Guys, if you think that missions is well-respected and that Christians want to go... You know what people think out there, secular world thinks we're gathered for here? Is we're gathered here to, to discuss better ways to jam our religion down people's throats. Now, the Emperor Constantine tried to do that, and it didn't work all that well. Yep, everybody became Christians, and nobody really was. It doesn't work. Now, on the other hand, there was a country a number of years ago where all the Christians were kicked out. 
and the whole world was praying, oh God, please stop them from kicking out the missionaries, because if they kick out the missionaries, their church will collapse. This fledgling little church is going to go to nothing, and people have given their lives to found this church. Oh God, please don't let this happen. Why would you want to do this and ruin all this that your followers have done for you? China. And now we're praying, oh God, um, Chavez, don't let him kick the missionaries out of Venezuela. And I'm saying, Venezuela could be the next China in South America. Yes! Um, Just in case you didn't realize, China, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't think that the church in China, if it isn't already the biggest and strongest church, soon will be. You know, they just had a Luzon conference for uh, Christians from all over the world in South Africa. There were 200, the Chinese Christians themselves got the money together to send 200 representatives from China. They were, the first ones that got to the airport were arrested and hauled off. So you know what the rest of them did? They all showed up at the airport taking the chance on being arrested because they hoped that they would have at least one representative in South Africa. And we're thinking, oh, God, we've got to send missionaries to China. I was talking to a a youth group recently. They were going on a short-term missions trip to Kenya, which they apparently didn't know is the most Christian nation in the entire world. And I asked them what they were going to do, and they said they were going to go and evangelize. I said, who? They said, whoever needs it. Lord, have mercy. Um, They said last year they went to South America and did door-to-door evangelism. And I said, oh, really? That's cool. How many of you speak Spanish? And they said, oh, we didn't have to speak Spanish because we had interpreters. I said, well, now if you don't speak Spanish, how do you know that the interpreters are really interpreting the gospel as you're sharing it? And they said, oh, because they're all from a church, so they're all Christians, so they know the message. And I said, so, okay, so... So you have to go down there to go door-to-door to to share the gospel through these people that are Christians and speak Spanish. So, and you know, pretty soon the kids start looking at me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that is it. Well, just in case you wanted to know, the uh, CNN article. Now, do any of you watch CNN? I understand that it's not Christian-owned and run. Um, their article had not one negative comment about Christians in the whole CNN article. I won't go uh, through it, but I thought since we were talking about the flying car, we should at least show you um, what it looks like. Guys, um, this was CNN. It's, uh, it was in our local, our local uh, Styles magazine, had it in there. The only thing positive I've seen in Horse Country Magazine, a six-page article, and uh, about one and a half pages is about the flying car. The rest of it is about missions, and they even did this on their own. We had nothing to do with this about all of our other programs, I See, I Dent, I Fly, I Fix. In our local magazine, free, um, it's in the current issue of Sport Aviation uh, it was in it was in Popular Mechanics last year in the May issue, a six-page article. Now this is Popular Mechanics. 
This starts with a, a full-page picture of a little boy watching an airplane landing. Um, my dad just before, um, myself and my dad just before my dad. You know what You know what? 60% of this article is about in Popular Mechanics? Their, uh, their biggest advertiser in Popular Mechanics, just in case you were thinking about subscribing, is Viagra. This is an old, an old boy's magazine. You know what 60% of this six-page article was in Popular Mechanics? You know what it was about? Missions. And not a negative, uh, not a negative comment. And then there was one other one. The, the real surprise was Christianity Today. Yep, they did an article on the flying car. You know why they did? You know why they wanted to do an article on the flying car? When they wanted, I said Christianity Today and flying cars. And they said, because every so often we like to do a major piece on missions, but we've found that when we do articles on missions, nobody reads it. So we thought, let's find some angle that will get people interested enough that they'll read an article in Christianity Today. So they did one on the uh, flying car. And uh, it's the uh, short, short version if we can. Let's try that. Will it go? Um, no, that's... Punch the button. Here, I'll get a little bit further away from it. Okay, now punch the button. Guys, I guess you're just going to have to buy one. Somebody else want to try their hand at it? Someplace on that video, there is a video of a... Or just, you got iPhones? Go on YouTube and look up Maverick Flying Car. Or go on our website, Maverick LSA. Guys, this is, a, this is the first ever certified by the FAA flying car. Got it certified about three weeks ago. Four weeks ago. It flies. Can you push it down air? Can we hear it for Mr. Techie? <laughs> no, I don't know. There you go. Now I hit play. In frontier areas, you know, our commission was to go. In frontier areas, when my dad and mom got down to the jungles, there was a missionary family of oh, the short version, demo Maverick Demo 1.5. Good job. It's the age deal. It, uh, it goes on road, off road, and it flies. You can put it on pontoons for the river or on skis for snow. I was... Just a few nights ago, I was out flying late in the afternoon. I was having so much fun. When the sun was going down, I just kept flying. And then the guys from the ground crew called me and said, uh, it's getting dark. And I looked down, pitch black. 
fortunately, we have headlights. Unfortunately, the car flies like this, so my headlights are pointing up <laughs> to the sky. Fortunately, we had a radio, so I click the radio and the uh, airport lights come on. But all they are are these low-intensity lights that show you where the runway is. I still couldn't see the ground. Um, with a turbocharged engine, you'd need oxygen. Now, now the thing is, if we're going to use this in missions, we don't want to have to teach people how to fly. So the, uh, the controls for flying are integrated with the controls for ground. You have a steering wheel, you have an accelerator, and a brake. The brake doesn't work in the air. You can still push it, it doesn't work. In the air, you, you just get, you deploy the wing, you get going 40 miles an hour, and it takes off. You steer it with the steering wheel. If you accelerate, it goes up. If you decelerate, it comes down. Are you saying that anybody can, can fly this thing? You want to try? I'd love to. I flew it. And I had never had any training because nobody is. What's that? How is it at landing? <laughs> you line it up with the soccer field or wherever you want to land or the road. You let off the accelerator and it does what? Comes down. Just before you touch down, you just accelerate a little bit and it levels off and touches down. Didn't it show you? Didn't it show it landing? You go up to our you go up to our uh, booth. Jamie has some uh, some DVDs. Let you uh, let you do it. You know what? Now the FAA doesn't like people flying unless they have a license. So you have to get a license here in the U.S. to fly this thing. The good news is it only takes 12 hours to get your license, and most of that time, come over and we'll have pizza and talk about the other stuff with iTech, and then we'll take you out and let you fly it. <laughs> you know how we teach people to fly something like this? We don't take them for a ride. Well, we do. We take them for a ride just so they get a feel for what it's like to be, unless they're old enough that they remember Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and then we can <laughs> skip that part. We take you out, take you for a little ride, then put you in the driver's seat. We get out, and we just tell you what to do over the phone, over the radio. It's that easy. So you took it to Oshkosh? Yeah. We drove it from Florida to Oshkosh. Now, the the the... Good news was this thing really goes. I mean, zero to sixty in three point nine seconds. Wow! It is faster than my son's Corvette. If you had six daughters, you would have a Corvette too. <laughs> Going through Atlanta at rush hour. If you go on the if you go on the website or if you get a video from Jamie, we we made videos every night on our trip to Oshkosh. The problem is when you're going through Atlanta, um, if you're passing cars. All of a sudden, everybody pulls out their iPhones and they want to take pictures of this car. I mean, it looks like a prowler with a five-bladed prop on the back. And everybody wants to know, does it really? Because they don't see any wing. The wing completely folds up into the top. So when you see it driving, the whole thing is ready to fly there. It's just, it's just stowed. So either people do that or if they pass you, then they, then they slow back up again. Traffic jams everywhere we went. Now, we've worked out everything except getting gas takes an hour. Going through the McDonald's drive-thru takes an hour. And if, because when you stop, I mean, people would follow us in a line off the interstate to come down. We were at, um, there's an ice cream shop in Wisconsin. Uh, it's called um, Culver's. We stopped in Culver's. And the place packed out with people coming to look at the car and decided, oh, let's get some ice cream. 
the manager came out and said, we have eight stores. We want you to rotate and do a half. We said, we got to go back to Florida after, uh, after Oshkosh. We said, we'll make you one with Culver's written on it. You just do it. You just take it wherever you want to. Um, we had only one problem the whole way to Oshkosh. I was driving, and this late model BMW pulled up beside me. And Now, you younger guys won't understand because you're always doing the iPhone deal. But us old guys, um, us Roddies, when you go up next to somebody, you bump the accelerator, and when the front of your car lifts up a little bit like this, it means, okay, you want a race or are you a wimp? <laughs> so this BMW did that, and uh, my accelerator stuck, and... Before I could get it back under control, we were within two or three miles an hour of 100 miles an hour going down the interstate, and the BMW was still in the rearview mirror. And I was hauling a prop. Now, it doesn't, you don't use the prop on the, on the road. You use the transaxle unless you get stuck. If you get stuck and it's soft sand, then you engage the propeller. Now, guys, I know this isn't what you usually think about missions as being, but um, if we're going to go to the whole world... Are we done? What time? Okay. Jerry's my conscience. Now, there are some unusual things happening in missions, and there are more unusual things that need to happen. You know, as I talk to people around the world, and if you would like to take a course on missions that's fun and is fast, we just produced a a seven-part series on missions called The Missions Dilemma. Actually, we, uh, we filmed the final product right here at Southeast. Uh, but I went and interviewed people from around the world and said, listen, if we North Americans, if the North American church, if you could give us one piece of advice that would help us do missions more effectively and more efficiently and more sensitively in your part of the world, what would you like to suggest? And then we interviewed them, and then we played it in front of a live audience, and uh, it's pretty sobering. Uh, Oscar Muriu from Nairobi, Kenya, said, you know what? If you folks would come and do missions with us instead of to us, we would greatly prefer it. He said, but you North Americans, you keep coming and fixing us and fixing us and fixing us. He said, we've been fixed so much that now we're in a real mess. And he said, now the surprising thing is you used to send your adults to fix us. Now you're sending your teenagers to fix us. And he said, the thing I can't figure out is all of us in Kenya, we grow up multicultural or at least bicultural. And he said, we can't figure that out. But your teenagers who speak one language and only know one culture come over here and they start telling us as soon as they're off the plane, they start telling us how to do ministry. He said, I'll tell you what, when your schools are out of session, we have no ministry. All we do is babysit your children that you send over here to fix us. Um, It is a little bit sobering. But when I asked Oscar, I said, we were sitting in the bar in this big hotel at uh, Urbana. Um, The bar was closed (laughs) because there was nobody. I mean, the Christians had taken over, and those Christians who did want to be in the bar thought it might be a little bit conspicuous. So they had gone to other bars, so this bar was closed. (laughs) So Oscar and I are sitting on these bar stools. Now, the bar stools were a little bit too high, to feel comfortable having your feet on the ground. So as I'm interviewing Oscar, I kept noticing that he was kind of uncomfortable and he'd kind of lift his leg and then he'd put it down. And finally he lifted his foot and looked down because he wanted to put his foot on the rung on the bar stool, but he didn't want to uh, scratch the rung. 
So he looked down and got this big smile because I just asked him, I said, Oscar, is there still a place for the North American church in missions? And he had said yes. He said, you are the most creative people in the world. If instead of doing missions every place for everybody forever, if you would just come and help us figure out how to do it, he said, that's the role you could play. And then he looked down at the, at the rung on the bar stool because he really wanted to put his foot up, but he didn't want to scratch it. Big smile. He said, see what I mean? And I looked down. Somebody who designed those, those stools, those bar stools here in the States, they knew some people were going to put their feet on there. So they took a little brass plate and they wrapped it around the deal. And he said, you see, if you folks would just do what you do well and let us do what we do well, we could reach the whole world. Um, but you know what? God doesn't use uh, not only unusual things, but he uses unusual people. Now, I've, I've just been amazed at what God used. I have a friend who's a, who was an airline pilot. He was in a motorcycle accident, and he lost his right arm. He, he hit a tree, and uh, it... When he hit it, his arm flew around the tree. It pulled all of the nerve endings out of his spinal column. So he carried this useless arm for two years and finally said, you know, if it's not going to work, I don't want it. So they they amputated his arm. And I figured that's how Barry came to the Lord. So I said, Barry, so is that when you came to know the Lord? Is that when you became a God follower? And he said, no. He said, when that happened, he said, okay. When the tough gets going, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. He said, "I went back and I qualified for all of my pilot's licenses back again with one arm." But Eastern Airlines said to him, "Barry, when you're saying goodbye to all the passengers and you're supposed to be shaking their hand, what are you going to do?" They said, "No way." So he left and he started working for the National Transportation <coughs> Safety Board. And I said, "Barry, how did you come to the Lord?" And he said, "Well, Martha and I. She was a stewardess too." They're, I think there's a pattern here. He said, Martha and I moved into a new neighborhood after this accident. He said, uh, now Martha is real pretty and she's very, very sweet. We know Martha. In fact, Barry helped me maintain the, uh, the plane when we were making End of the Spear. I was the stunt pilot in the movie and Barry was a mechanic, so he helped maintain the plane. Martha is sweet, but Martha isn't a cook. So Barry said, one day uh, this lady came over and she said, uh, hi, we're your neighbors and uh, we'd like to have you over for dinner. And Barry said, no way. We didn't want to know the neighbors. We didn't want to have especially weird ones. And so he said, uh, they said, well, maybe sometime. He said, then the neighbor from across the street came over and said, uh, was that your neighbor that just came over? Did she invite you for dinner? And Barry said, yeah, why? And she said, she is a phenomenal cook. You need to go to dinner at her house. So he said, so they did. And after dinner, he said, everything was just pleasant and nice. He said, after dinner, as we were leaving, this lady said to me, thank you for coming to dinner. I really hope someday you meet my Savior. And Barry said, we left. And I thought, that was weird. So he said, so we went home. And she came over and invited us to dinner again. And we said, uh, well, maybe sometime. And he said, then I got to thinking about she is a phenomenal cook. So he said, so we accepted. And we went over and I thought maybe something's going to get weird. And I said, nothing. It was just fine. But when we were leaving, he said, she looked at me and said, oh, Barry, I so badly want you to meet my Savior. He said, I thought, you know, I could take that for a good meal once in a while. 
he said, that happened three times. And he said, then I went to a, a conference, a pilot's conference. You know, you, you do continuing ed. And he said, I was at that conference, and one of the other pilots said, hey, Barry, you want to go out and get something to eat? And he said, we, we no sooner sat down and started to eat barbecue than this guy says, can I tell you a story, Barry? And he starts telling me the story about the road to Emmaus. Total stranger. And Barry said, I can't describe it to you the way it happened, but he said, in the middle of my barbecue sandwich, the only thing in the world that I wanted to do was to get up and get away from that man and get back to my motel room because I knew that in the bedside table there was a Gideon Bible. And he said, I absolutely could not wait to get back there and start reading that Bible, something I had never done before. And he said, I got back and I started perusing through it and I saw a table of contents in the front. No, he said, just a whole bunch of list of books. And he said, but in the back, I looked in the back and there was a plan of salvation. He said, I got down on my knees... And I met my neighbor's Savior. And he said, I was so excited that I went home. I ran over to my neighbor's house. And I went over and I got this woman. I said, where do you guys go to church? And she said, well, we don't go to church anymore. She said, we had a bad experience at church. So we haven't gone to church for the last dozen or so years. And Barry said, how do you stay in touch with your Savior? And she said, well, we, we pray and we do it personally. And Barry said, no way. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to go to church. You've got to be with other Christians. So Barry said, so I went out and found a church, and I went back and asked our neighbors to go to church with me. <laughs> now, that's unusual. Um, cooking as uh, evangelism. But I have one that's even wilder than that. This, this one was beyond my wildest expecta- uh, imagination, and I think we're going to have to end with this. How many of you know what a Japanese black gospel choir is? I had the same problem I think you're having right now. When I, I was in California, and somebody said, Oh, Steve, have you seen the Japanese black gospel choir? Have you seen them perform? And I said, I can't even figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> and they said, oh, you, so you don't know them. They said, oh, come, come, come. Then, But their last concert had already finished. So they took me and they introduced me at dinner to this couple um, who are missionaries to Japan. Now, they grew up in the Philippines. They're Filipino. Both of their families emigrated to the U.S. They both grew up outside the church, knew nothing about God through Jesus, but they both became nightclub singers. Then they met each other, they got married, and then they met Jesus. And they became, they became God followers, Christ followers. And then they decided, they felt God calling them into missions. So the obvious place for Filipinos to go to be missionaries is Japan. So they raised lots and lots and lots of money, and then they went to Japan as missionaries, thinking that when they got there, the Japanese were just going to open their arms and say, Welcome, brothers. Come on in. That doesn't happen in Japan. So they were there for two years, never were invited into one person's home, and had nothing to do. So they kept praying, God, we know that you brought us here. We know that you have a purpose. Please, please. I mean, it's getting real hard to write support letters back to our uh, supporters because we have nothing to do. I mean, we don't, there's no contact and we can't find a contact. So God went to work. He does that. 
you know. God went to work and he, he called into service um, what I considered a fairly unlikely candidate, Whoopi Goldberg. Now, you probably didn't know that Whoopi Goldberg has been involved in missions, right? But you, you may have heard of a movie called Sister Act. Well, when Sister Act came out, it did okay here in the in the states. I, I think there's Sister Act and Sister Act Two, and they're probably coming out with Sister Act Three. I've seen two of them, and I it was a really kind of fun story. When it hit Japan, it was a phenomenon. I mean, people were going back and back and back to the theater to watch Sister Act over and over and over again because there are certain things from North American culture that the Japanese love. Corvettes are one of them. You're driving down the road and you're, you're just passing all these little cars and here comes a Corvette, which looks like, it looks like a, um, what are those great big um, military, Hummer. It looks like a Hummer over there, right? So, but that's a big phenomenon. And, and cowboy boots. I mean, they like cowboy boots, and they loved black gospel singing. So a lot of people in Japan that watched Sister Act over and over and over, they wanted to learn how to do black gospel. Just one problem, there, there aren't that many places in Japan that are teaching black gospel. So these people started looking around for somebody that could teach them how to sing black gospel, and guess who they found? Two Filipino nightclub singers that were over in Japan as missionaries with nothing to do. So they asked them, would you teach us how to do, do you know black gospel? And they said, yeah. Like, does a cow move? They said, yeah. So they started giving lessons, but the people would only come a few times, and then they would quit coming because some Japanese who were a little bit friendlier explained to them, because you're offending these people. And they said, How? They said, because you're making them indebted to you. They said, see, when they come and you're doing them a favor and you do it repeatedly and you're not asking them a favor, then they're indebted to you and so they stop coming. They said, well, how can we, how can we solve that problem? They said, charge them. So they started charging these people $10 a lesson to come learn black gospel. And then they realized these Filipino nightclub singer missionaries figured out that you can't sing black gospel. Really, you cannot understand it unless you understand the gospel. So they took half of their lesson fees and taught them the gospel, and the other half, they started teaching them how to sing black gospel. And then the group started to grow. They had to split it. They had to split it again. They had to split it again. When I met them in California, they had 20 Japanese black gospel choirs. And we're not talking small choirs. We're talking big. And then they said then the people wanted their families and friends to see what they could do singing this North American stuff, you know, all dressed up in their leathers. <laughs> they were a little bit stiff at first, but they began loosening up. I just got a second, a second album that I'm going to show you, but... They said, but they charged their families because they wanted, I mean, if they came for free, you know, what is that? But if they would pay, and of course they obliged them to come because they were families, and then they wanted to do more. They wanted to go on the road. But there wasn't that many places in Japan where they could go and have concerts of black, Japanese black gospel. So they started coming to North America doing what they call the three S tours, shopping, sightseeing, and singing. And you know what? The tailors, the, uh, the, the nightclub singers, they were pretty smart. They started lining up concerts in churches here in the States. So they would take these mostly non-Christian Japanese 
black gospel singers and have them sing to the choir. And then the people in the church audience would take them home and let them see what it was like to, to live as Christians in a family setting. And um, I just thought, you know, this is, this is too cool. But I hadn't seen them perform, so they gave me an album. It was a little bit stiff, but it was really great. They had a, uh, a guest soloist who happened to be black go to Japan, and, uh, and the choir was the backup choir. But they just sent me a new album, and I think that, um, can we, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, okay, I guess we can't show this to you. It's, uh, it's, the, one, it's the one called, um, okay, real quick, real quick. It's called uh, We've Come to Praise Him. And on this one, they, they dance, too. I have never seen Japanese do this kind of thing. But then I traveled with Stephen Curtis Chapman and Minkai for three months, and I had never seen old people do some of the things I saw them do there either. <laughs> so if you need to leave to go to someplace else, go. But we're going to play this in about... <laughs> Guys, the bottom line here is God is going to do what he's going to do. He's always up to something new. And you never know just who he's going to use. It could be us. Um, let's see. Is it, does it have choose song? Choose song right there. It's uh, We've come to praise him. Can you fast forward it a little bit? I want. See if you can fast forward it to the place where they start dancing. This is really. This is between album one and album two. I guess we missed the dancing part. Go back just a little bit more. These are mostly non-Christians sing, We Just Came to Praise Him. See, we're changing the world for Christ. If any of you have churches that would like to get involved either in reaching your community or in reaching out to the world, we would love to help you do that. Uh, we're, we exist to help you. God bless you in whatever he has called you to do. Let's just listen and obey, okay? Let's not do the big thing. Let's just obey what God has called us to do. All right, thank you.